Welcome back to the Deep Fade. My name is Zach, joined as always by Mr. Raven. Y'all. And today, Tassos too. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. This is the first time, I think, since like week since one. Since the first one. Since yeah. the very first one where it's just sitting in, which I'm completely cool with because we're also going to, at the at the bottom of today's show, do a little bit of a baseball teaser, which Tassos is here for, but we're also going to run through the NBA All-Star Weekend, uh, jump over to some teams that we want to look at post-break as we come out of a massively flaccid all-star weekend but let's just get to it raven who won the skills challenge uh matt mcclung it's the wrong thing did he actually no he won the dunk contest i did know that but uh team pacers good good job so let's give them an applause the home team won the home team won good for them you can use the applause That's button. way too loud. Well, I can turn it down and post. Calm down. Uh, which conference won the All-Star game off the top of your head? The West uh, one. The East end. I was going to say the East because of Giannis and Dames and Tyrese Halliburton. I'll give him his credit, too. They were all cooking. They won 211 to 186. That's the East. so stupid. <laughs> Who won the three-point contest? Tasso's not Raven because I assume you know. Um... Oh, I do know. Wasn't it Dame? It was Dame. And then the dunk contest was... Uh, McClung. I, G League magic legend Matt McClung. Never get into the league. Sorry, bud. The point is to... Of running through all those and just like... the. Alright. You want to... You want to cut that out? Yeah, I'll cut that out. Alright. Three, two, one. The point of running through all of that is to just emphasize that no one really gave a damn about any of this. All-Star Weekend has been shaved down to clips and a scoring contest where, like, a credit to a story from Sam Amick of The Athletic, Jalen Brunson, in the locker room halfway, had a team meeting, and they were like, with the way that we played in the first half, we saw where, how we were playing, and we said, all right, let's get 200. And not even in Indiana, Larry Bird couldn't aspire an Adam's worth of effort from grown men playing in a basketball game. And like LeBron said some stuff about, it's like, oh, this doesn't really tap into our competitive spirit. And once you get to that point with athletes, then it's kind of lost where they just see this as a playground anyway. And it makes it frankly unwatchable where I had little to no interest watching any of this except for after the fact. I mean, like I would have gotten multiple texts or talked about it with people who were like, I might have seen 10 minutes worth because it's the same shit. It's, I mean, Halliburton starts five for five from three, but I think like the closest contest was Jokic pretending to run towards him. And I think I read that the first quarter in total, a quarter that had 100 total points, over 100 total points in one quarter of basketball was only 22 minutes of like real world time. And that's only because Kawhi Leonard had the audacity to foul someone. Was it All Star Weekend? How dare he! Right, Sabrina versus Steph was the only good thing that was able to come out of this brutality of a weekend, and that was even bogged down by an announcing version of the Twitter trolls you see under every WNBA post ESPN puts out. I don't think that that necessarily is representative of a larger trend with. Smith or or any of those guys, but 
to take something that was really fun and I think could have been like, it's not uh, Billie Jean King winning in 73, but it's, it's fun and it is a good crossover and it's a celebration of basketball, which is what all of this is supposed to be. All-stars, G-leaguers, the WNBA, even like college to a certain degree with players from the college ranks showing up or being talked about while there, it gets bogged down by an insistence on appealing to clips and highlights, an insistence on like reduxing tired old stereotypes. Like, why are we talking about it from, from a gendered perspective when this was supposed to just be a fun thing? Hell, Ionescu like made the point to shoot from the NBA line and then almost won. Her final score was the same as Dame's in the championship round. Like, you can't dispute those numbers. Like she, she this was not. It's like, it. oh, she did pretty good for a girl. Like, no, she proved right then and there that these girls are capable of also playing this game. And no shit. Like, but like in a competitive sense, like compared to the men's, we're you know? we're days separated from this, and so this is already the end of this cycle and talking about this. But just with. I, this bothers me all the time, just where it seems like a lot of men don't want women to watch sports, where, like, going back to things as simple as reactions, we are not going to get to any of this, but reactions and jokes about stuff like Wanda Franco, Josh Giddy, go back in time, and where it's even, like, people still cheer for Miles Bridges. Like, yeah, it just, it is a continuance of that, and I'm not a fan. What happened to the sweet, sweet dunk contest that we grew up with? Because the year prior to when we were born, Raven and I, was Vince Carter in 2000. And then now, Matt McClung is a fun Instagram reel, but he can't make a magic roster that would kill for quality athleticism and shooting from a guard. Obi Toppin isn't even a starter on his team, and we have his brother from the Knicks G League squad Mm -hmm. showing up, who, like... Can get up, but I remember he was, was he pretty part of the, the young stars team, or was he actually participating in the skills? He was in the dunk contest. Oh, he was Jacob Toppin. Jeez. Yep. Jaime Hawkins is a hundred and third this year in dunks in the league. He's noticeably a few spots behind guys like Brandon Miller, Shaden Sharp, and Jalen Green. And again, he's a great athlete. Like he's still, I don't know. This isn't like 36-year-old Lakers Dwight Howard, however old he was a few years ago, he can get up. And then Jalen Brown is an amazing athlete, and I think he was 30th relative to where Jaime was over 100th. But he dunks like someone who wears jeans to the gym. (laughs) He doesn't have the necessary swagger or creativity. I think he is, like, very clearly an extremely prescient and well-spoken athlete, and I really like Jalen Brown, but... I mean, even compared to McClung, he does not have the same level of creativity and singularity when it comes to dunking. Like He's a strong athlete who knows how to dunk over people, but is not a... Flashy dunker. Is not Carter, is not... Even, like, go back to Terrence Ross, Jason Richardson, um, like, the year John Wall won. Like, they do crazy things that are congruent with their athleticism. Where Jalen Brown, I mean, he admitted himself that he was just going to do reduxes of old dunks. I was not particularly invested. Did you see the Stephen A. 
clip about him talking about the dunk contest? No. It was just, he was just basically slamming on LeBron, saying how um, the fact that he didn't participate in it really over the course of his career has led to this whole generation of players feeling like they I did see that. have that um, ability to just be like, hey, no, I don't really want to do that. But does that fall at the feet of LeBron? Or is that just a wider cultural thing? It's a, it's a wider star problem in the NBA. I mean, that's my thing about the NBA as a whole is... You know, good league, bad stars, you know, like that. Good stars, but I, I think, you know. Player entitlement. is Yeah, well, and I'm not trying to limit that. Like, I don't want to be like one of those guys that's like, I don't stick up for owners in labor talks. Like, I'm not that kind of fellow. But, like, um, you should still be able to, like, understand the importance of the game and the growth of the game and what these marquee events could be, right? And, like, I don't know, the dunk contest could be something really exciting, and it's not. So, I don't know. I mean, kind of what Zach was saying earlier, when we were, before we were born, we had Vince Carter, and, like, when we were younger, we had Aaron Gordon jumping over a car. <laughs> and You mean Blake Griffin? Yes, I do. Sorry. It's been a while. Um, but then, like, you have Jalen Brown jumping over Kai Sinet for, <laughs> I mean, it's just, like, it's not the same, and... Do you remember who participated in the dunk contest last year? I couldn't tell you. Other no. than Matt McClellan. I couldn't tell you, genuinely. KJ Martin, Kenny Martin's son, he currently plays on the Sixers in limited minutes. Jericho Sims, backup center on the Knicks. And Trey Murphy, who I think of as a three-point shooter. And then, like, go back to the last star. Because Jalen Brown is a star. He is a star. He is... Prior to him, the last star that I can think of is, I guess, Aaron Gordon doing it back in 2020. And even then, he lost to Derrick Jones. And then prior to that, like, Hamadou Diallo won in 2019. The last big winner was Donovan Mitchell. In 2018, yeah. In 2018. And even that was not... He wasn't the Donovan Mitchell that we see now, averaging 28 a game. He was still, to some degree, coming on. He was in his third year this is all just an exercise to to make fun of the nba for letting it evolve to this point but it's also it it confused me because it's bigger it's a bigger problem that can also be linked back to like the creation of the in-season tournament Mm -hmm. or like the miami heat clearly not giving a shit about regular season games yeah where it feels like we have an incentivization problem that does not exist in, I mean, the NBA constantly gets compared to the NFL as uh, the two highest grossing leagues. Not that MLB and NHL are poor in their own right, but they get compared to one another because basketball has come a lot, come on a lot more in the 21st century. That the limited number of games leads to higher stakes and more and much lower levels of apathy unless you've locked up a playoff spot late in the season. And then for the NBA, there's just too many damn games. And so not only does that affect how players give effort throughout the course of a season before the stretch run where they really need to lock up games, but it affects how they play in events like this that are in the midseason. The in-season tournament was good, and players tried. 
but I can see it turning into the same thing as the All-Star Game and the dunk contest over the next few years where people just start to understand that they don't really need to care. I mean, I feel like for the dunk contest before, it was because the names of the guys who won it in, you know, the 80s and 90s. And then, yeah, so, I mean, and then people wanted to be like Jordan. They wanted to be like Dominique. Kobe and all those guys. And then kind of even into the early 2000s, you still have a lot of famous names. But then it kind of goes off into guys that are, like you were saying, more focused into this one aspect of the game. The so, Lakers, the Lakers played the Pacers in the final of the in-season tournament. Mm-hmm. Pacers are currently sixth in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I mean, and the Lakers are currently in the play-in. Yeah, jeez. So what can change? I think that as far as the All-Star game goes, I don't know why they did away with the Elam ending or the the All-Star draft. Like they just took away layers of this to make it less interesting. Where at least you got moments of. LeBron looking like he's tampering or uh, Rudy Gobert getting selected last. Like, funny things. But they took away that, and then the Elam ending is just something that they should try to institute into more things. I think they should put it in the in-season tournament, too. Adding that back, I, I thought of things like incentivizing participation, not through money, but acknowledgement. This isn't necessarily something that would appeal to to anyone anymore, but... Having a guaranteed feature like in something NBA-sponsored or the NBA reaching out to companies to partner with a winner, I think wouldn't really matter to the highest tier of athletes because, I mean, Jalen Brown has a Nike deal. Like, he's not going to give a damn. But it might mean something for, like, middle-tier players where you'll at least get the best athletes of people that we've heard of. And that way you can get, like, you get your own line of dunks because... You won the dunk contest. It's just an idea. I don't know if it would do anything for the superstars, but it might get you some lower tier stars, guys that casual fans have heard of. Coming up in the league kind of guys. Yeah. Incentivize young players to do it more because that's what we want to see. Like I mentioned those names, but I would rather have Brandon Miller and Jalen Green in there than Jacob freaking Toppin. Also, making the season shorter, I think, is additive to all parties in this because if you take off... 22 games because I think the number should be 60 for the sake of competition and making a better product throughout the year. Less games makes players less worried about getting hurt. You can have a longer all-star break. And then, I mean, I don't dis disincentivizing through punishment, incentivizing however you want to frame it, like give tangible consequences for not participating in events or at least make it public because we get told that all these guys turn it down. I'm not going to hold this at the feet of LeBron or anyone that people don't care about it anymore, but it is the NBA's job to incentivize players to participate in these events. And then credit to, to John Hollinger for this. Quote, all-star games and other sports have had the same problem. The underlying issue is in each is that players have become too valuable to risk injuring themselves in the next exhibition. Baseball's Midsummer Classic is now limited by the inherent risk to pitchers, the Pro Bowl is now a flag football game, and the NHL All-Star game is a series of three-on-three skates. MLS invited vastly better players from Arsenal to smoke at Stars last summer. This is not a unique issue, but I think that the NBA, and I think the NBA, because of the way the game is played, is uniquely saddled to 
improve these ancillary events, even if they're never really going to make the All-Star game competitive. What if they, like, kind of team up with some other leagues, like, in Europe, and you get, like... Sure. Jokic's Serbian team... They'd get waxed, but... Yeah, but, like, that would just be fun. It would get those guys a chance to kind of come in. No, but having, like, a true international game yeah, or is like a, a thought. But also to let those guys overseas, who are, like, the best players in their league, let them get a little moment of uh, shine. I w- it feels... Well, and then one thought I have would be... Because the Rising Stars game, it used to be Team USA versus Team Worlds, where you'd have... American-born young players in their first or second year against foreign-born. And I think that you could do that for the All-Star game proper, especially now where you would have Embiid, Giannis, Jokic on the same team. NHL used to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it would maybe make a better product, but it it does feel a little nationalist. It does, but like I feel like, and just in the sense of the sport, I feel like we could get some really cool moments just if... You know, Luka and Jokic were just passing the ball. They had that where they were, like, hot potatoing it down the court for fun during the All-Star game. But, like, having that in a real set is its own thing. No, I I, I was just going to say that the NHL did used to do that. And I was arguing the other day that I do think that they should go back to something like that. The three-on-three skates in hockey mean nothing at this point. And um, it's... Uh, it's interesting. I, I said that the NBA does have the same problem. Um, and it, it's how do you make it more competitive? I don't know that it necessarily has to be like a financial incentive. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's just a matter of getting these best players on the court and how do you make them compete for it? And it's just a very big struggle. So I think you have to incorporate maybe some of these other novelties, but also trying to you know, bring it back closer to the actual game. Like, I think hockey should be played five-on-five at the All-Star game. And um, if you're not going to do, like, a North America versus World game, you should do East versus West, in my Mm. opinion. Um, Just get back to it. Even if the game's, like, a little bit more high-scoring, you, um, I don't know. It it just feels more traditional for them. The other one that I liked, I, I do understand it from that perspective, that if you're going to do it, then at least do it in a in a way that's true to like a hockey game yeah and then the one idea that i saw was creating it a tournament style and then setting target scores for each game where it's like first to 50 where right now it's 12 t 12 all-stars per conference and this is the only argument that i actually support in favor of expanding the all-star rosters if you make it 14 and 14 you can have four seven player teams they can still play five on five but you have two bench players and then have two sides of a bracket tournament seven players versus seven players they complete in a final i think that that would be more interesting and with a target score it might stoke a little bit more passion for it but it's just an idea it doesn't matter that much at the end of the day but also weekend used to be really cool and it was in indianapolis this year like, I didn't even think about going. Like, my my dad texted me if I wanted to come down for a day to check out some of the, the less expensive stuff that you can do. And, I mean, would have if could have, but it's just not what... I would have killed even 10, 15 years ago when, like, the Bulls were terrible. Having 
an all-star game in Chicago or having an all-star game in Indiana when I was younger. I would have died to go, but now it just doesn't have the same appeal. A larger observation that fascinated me recently, I just think that the NBA regular season and these events, like all-star events, are increasingly being catered towards people that don't watch basketball until April, which I think is an increasingly large proportion of the sports ingesting population. I think that, I think that football is the only thing that's really immune to it because Sunday is its own event. And I was curious about asking you this because it's the same length of a season. And I know that this is a thing for baseball where people do not tune in until September. Does it feel like a lot of fans, quote unquote, even people who seem to really like hockey or basketball or baseball don't actually watch games? I mean, um, to be totally transparent, it is hard. There there are definitely people that um, don't watch every single game. It's hard to watch every single game. Yeah, of course. Um, you'll get told to go touch grass quite often if you're watching every single NHL game. But, you know, I do try and at least catch a little bit of every single game so that I can come in and do this every morning, too. Um, good morning, hockey. If you haven't checked it out yet, give it a listen. Check it out. Um, so, but, yes, there are definitely people that like just watch the sick clips on the NHL's Instagram account and like bar down and some of these other accounts. Um, so that is fair and playoff hockey is like touted to be what it is. So there is definitely the, you know, people have always said like casuals or people who aren't even really interested in the game, be like, Oh, playoff hockey is so great. Playoff hockey is so much fun. So yes, to answer your question, there, there are a large contingent of people that, um, I just think I've surrounded myself with people in this space enough that like a lot sure. of people I am interacting with like do watch a majority of the hockey games, right? So it does feel insulated because when you talk about this with people who also like the sport or love it, even then it does feel like there are tears to this. And I'm talking about basketball, but it can be correlated to yeah, yeah, talking or anything else. Where the first level is having a passing knowledge where you do check those social clips. I think that the next level or the next two levels is that plus where you're reading a little bit more. Maybe follow individual players and have a vested interest in their success and then follow teams closer than other people would. And then then maybe you uh, maybe then you read a little bit more. You actually take the time to have like a subscription to... The Athletic or ESPN Plus so that you can read more articles, whatever. And then it just feels like the highest tier is actually watching. Because as many people as I've met and know that like basketball or even within my my own family or like friends who have an actual interest, they don't watch it to the same degree. And that's okay. And yeah, uh, yeah. there's no I don't think that's necessarily a derogatory term to call someone casual i know it's used that way but like that's fine you are not expected to ingest it at the same level as you or i would but casuals still buy jerseys casuals buy jerseys casuals still watch the game they go to games too. they go to games or they will occasionally catch the tnt game yeah i only i only bring it up because i feel like this is a wider phenomenon that might just be the way things are going forward in terms of sports ingestion where 
I, I don't think that people are really uh, checking out Sam Hauser or know what's going on with Davion Mitchell in Sacramento. You know, they and they are completely justified in doing that. I'm just curious to see if the NBA continues to lead harder in that direction. We're going to come back here in a second, run through a few teams that we're going to watch post-All-Star break. Right. Coming back. So, I wanted to run through a few teams that I am most interested in watching post-All-Star break before we get into a little baseball talk. Initially, it was just going to be three, but we're going to do a three plus one here because the Nets fired head coach Jacques Vaughn on Sunday. Vaughn was 64-65 and 65 over the course of two seasons, and he's coming off of an 8-23 and 23 stretch heading into the All-Star break that almost certainly led to this firing. Brooklyn's not even currently in the play-in, but I'm only confused because I wonder why they think having Kevin Ollie, former UConn coach, uh, shout out the Big East for having someone number one in the country. But I don't know how that helps whatever semblance of development you were hoping for this season. Mikael Bridges is 22-4, 3.5 in the new year, and that's pretty close to his overall numbers this year. He's 45-39-83 in that same stretch. He still seems like a secondary star waiting on a number one option. And then the Nets have had a tough schedule. They're fifth in opponent strength of the schedule. Ben Simmons has been, played okay in the small minutes that he has coming back since having a near triple-double in his first game back. But he's also had like a 1-for-10 in there. He still seems like Ben Simmons. In a season without hope and where you're still without anything resembling valuable draft picks, especially as, like, I don't know, especially as they continue to not sell off guys like Dorian Finney-Smith and, like, great... You got rid of Royce O'Neal, but for what? Nothing of substance. Great, you get another pick swap. Awesome. In a season without hope, I'm just confused why you would fire your coach midseason, even if you don't love Jock Vaughn. It just seems like a situation that is not benefited by a midseason firing. Joe Sy, owner of the Bucks, or not the Bucks, the Nets, a little ahead of myself, seems like a bad owner, if only good for content. Because he... He's the first owner that I've seen in a while actually stand his ground against a superstar demanding a trade other than the Sixers with Harden, where he was actually kind of pushing back against Durant until he ultimately traded him to the Suns, where I think I was working I was working an internship in one of the South suburbs when I got Kevin Durant wanted to be traded. And then I probably spent the next two days when I wasn't doing my 30 minutes of work. Uh like just scrolling Twitter, hoping for a trade notification to Chicago. But he he held out for six plus months before actually sending Durant out. So stuff like that confuses me because I think of an owner one way where he's staunch and willing to let things ride out to their completion, but Vaughn only got not even two full seasons worth of work. I mean, like... I don't know what we were expecting from a team that employs the likes of Mikhail Bridges as its number one um, and like Ben Simmons as their probably best young star, Nick Claxton, who should have been traded to the Thunder. I only want to bring it up because it's the first coach fired and that's always of significance, but I guess Cam Thomas season, 
Let's go. <laughs> My favorite. One question before we move on. Oh, go ahead, Tassos. I, no, I just want to push back on um, Josiah a little bit. You you said he was a bad owner. I don't know that it's necessarily him um, being a bad owner. I, I think it's kind of what we were talking about earlier as far as like these players and um, dictating where they want to go. And, you know, Kevin Durant was kind of the, the focal point of that whole time there. And the, him and Harden and Kyrie didn't really play together. Um, Seven games. I think he, he does a lot. Like I, I, I don't know. He seems to do a lot for other sports. He, he, um, he divests in lacrosse a lot. He, um, he puts a lot into that, and um, I can respect that a lot. So um, that's fair. Trying to grow other sports. Normally, a lot of owners don't do that. Like, you know, they they talk and then, you know, but to actually like give back to that. I, just from what I've seen from afar, I don't know the guy personally, but I mean, um, I mean, I'm talking. From a, a management of the Nets specifically. I 100% agree with doing things like that. Like so, James Dolan is a bad owner. That's its own breed of ownership. But yes. Yeah. Okay, no, if, we're, if we're on the Dolan scale, I think anyone's pretty good. Yeah. Except for Dan Snyder. May he rest in pieces. Uh, but... Okay, if not a bad owner, he's good for content because the Nets continue to be... Not necessarily a dumpster fire because they've maintained a middling record after selling off three All-Stars, but I don't see much reason to watch this team any more than any of us have the rest of the Did year. Did all three of those players go to the Nets via free agency? No, Harden no, was, it was traded there. Harden was traded there, which is why Brooklyn had to give up so many of its picks, yeah. and then Durant and Kyrie signed a free agency. Hmm. Actually, Durant was a sign-and-trade, I believe, but... Regardless, because that's how the, the Warriors got D'Angelo Russell and then ended up sending him off to Minnesota, and then he went to the Lakers. Yeah. Anyway, more interesting teams. The Bucks. Yeah, sure. Three and seven with Doc. Womp womp. Womp womp. <laughs> it's my team, so I can it's do that. Womp womp. I still like the vibes, which is just sterling analysis, but the record has not inspired confidence despite the fact that I do think I can see this team coalescing a little bit more around Doc than the the antics that were happening under Adrian Griffin. They're 15th in opponent effective field goal percentage since Doc has come in and gotten his seal as his head coach, which is an improvement. But over that same stretch, that 3-7 and seven stretch, they are 22nd in offense rating when the games that they were actually winning this season were on the bones of their offense. Milwaukee on the year is still fifth in offensive rating, but that will continue to tumble. And considering they're barely in the top 20 of defense, their overall net rating is currently a tick below the Warriors and the Suns. Two teams that, the Warriors especially, have not exactly lived up to expectations. They're seventh on the year in, uh, in overall offense, even after the stretch. Their last 10 teams that they played in that same stretch where they've gone three and seven. It's the Nuggets, the Blazers, the Mavs, the Jazz, the Suns, the T-Wolves, the Hornets, the Nuggets, the Heat, in a and where they scored 97 points in a loss. And then I think the thing that is that feels like a cherry on top is them losing to the Grizzlies on TNT. That pissed me off. Where they don't have Jaron Jackson Jr. in that game. And so you get Gigi Jackson and Vince Williams, who are great, but they're like 
fifth options, both. And Gigi Jackson is literally the youngest player in the NBA. Middleton needs to get back up to speed. Uh, this team needs to coalesce further around Doc. And then you're not even squeezing what you can out of a somewhat diminished season of Dame. For Middleton's defense, take out a 2-2-2 two, two, and two stinker that he had in a 40-point loss to the Cavs in January. He's been 16-4-6 on 50-40-80 shooting splits since the start of January, which, I mean, if you look back to previous years in Milwaukee, going back a couple when he was still in his quote-unquote prime, that's pretty close to in line with what he's doing. He might not be 20 points a game, but if he's 17 on good efficiency next to Giannis and Dame, that's that's perfect because he's taking back he is has less of an offensive role with Dame there than he did with like Drew Holiday, which is to be expected. So if those numbers can maintain, he is rounding back into form and he's playing more minutes, a lot more than he did at the start of the year, certainly. Raven, are these numbers concerning? Or do you think that there's plenty of time? I mean, I still think there's time. I mean, I think Chris has always had his most impactful moments in clutch moments or postseason. Like, he's not really been a great regular season player his whole career, I feel like. But with him kind of switching from the two-man to the three-man on this team, I feel like he's kind of finding his role. I mean... Obviously, he's going to be getting less shots with Dame out which there. Is, which is hard because it's an adjustment. It is. And I think that adjustment is still the biggest thing. That and I feel like the ball handling and just not ball handling, but like passing and kind of movement between the team isn't as flow-like as it was in 2021. But I am i don't want to say I'm worried, but I'm definitely not we're we're past the point of like are we worried because you have to be a little concerned yeah it's like i'm not really feeling pleased but hopefully with a little bit of a break and some news of the doc joining and all this stuff that happened at the beginning of the year kind of fades out that a new story kind of emerges and that they can rally but I don't have too much hope. I think that that's defensible. This is the second year in a row and the only two in Giannis's career to just jump to the most important aspect of this team, without a doubt. Last year was 31. This year he's right around 31 again. Additionally, he is averaging the highest assist of his career while his turnovers have gone actually slightly down. I think there's a strong case that this is the best he's ever played. But I also think that it's because he has to run counter to the deficiencies of this team, mm-hmm. where Giannis has a defensive player of the year. And looking back, he is top five or six in defensive player of the year voting each of the last five seasons. He is singularly dominant on offense and defense in a way that I don't think Griffin was playing into, and I think that we always got mad at Bud Ford, but at least those Boonhoser teams were great defensive teams. Mm-hmm. He's the only guy that gives a shit. It feels like it. Yeah. Him, like, I mean, we can talk about guys like Anthony Edwards. I and, mean, in the league, too. And Maxi. But, yeah, I mean, I mean he's a psychopath in a way that players just aren't anymore. Yeah. And I think that that's 
great, and it's why I think we all love Giannis. I think that's also just because his grow up and like how he got here and stuff. Like, I think it just means a little bit more to him. Absolutely. Can I bring something up? Yeah. I saw on Instagram he is uh, coming out with a movie. Yeah, I believe it's already out. Okay. How do we feel about uh, people making movies about himself? This is now the second one. I understand the first one was a Disney Plus kind of cartoon iteration of his childhood. How do we feel about uh, modern day like movies that are coming out the same time? People making movies about themselves. People making movies about themselves before you're done even playing. Like if Jordan made the last dance while he was still playing. Uh huh. Or if LeBron came out with something this year. Which I think that there think have LeBron. been reports oh, of him sure. having cameras on him some of these seasons. Uh, it's weird. Giannis is my favorite player in the NBA. Keep in mind, he's the only reason I really even pay attention to it. That Huge him Greek and the Raptors, connection. yeah, yeah, like he's a, he's awesome, and he's I don't know, he's so fun to watch. But I think you have to be a certain level of star to justify it, because I think Giannis and like guys like him, Jokic, Embiid. Although I think Giannis is probably the most magnanimous and interesting of them, can like get away with it. But anything below that. You think Ben Simmons can come out with a I would watch the Ben Simmons like <laughs> auto documentary. I would hold Across a I would hold sea. a watch party ever since that that JJ Reddick interview where he said, I'm fucking awesome. Like <laughs> Yeah. Okay, Ben Simmons is the wrong example, but let's say like Harrison Barnes, like no one cares. Matt McClung. You should, I think that, I think that's a fair point that you maybe should have to retire before you're allowed to do that. Because it's like, here's my story when I still have seven years left in the league. But if it's like, I understand, for the Disney one, it makes sense. Disney like 28. 29. 29. 29, yeah. He'll play old if he wants to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's weird, because he might be like... He's played ten seasons. I he might have, he might go for twenty. Yeah, why now? <laughs> yeah, let's let's bring this up now, guys. No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. No, I agree with you. I'm like, why make? He's the best the, player in the NBA right now, other than Nikola. It's, it's him, Jokic, and Embiid. However you want to rank it. I mean, I think Embiid being hurt knocks him out for a time, but I don't know. I think Giannis has been. I, I, him and Jokic have been the the guys for the past few years. I don't think I would watch a Jokic self-made documentary. Maybe. It would just be him I, but like we've, or uh, horse racing. I think, right. I think while players are playing, that's the point of people writing about them in the moment. Mm-hmm. And like the draft profiles that people do on Writing them. about them is different. Well, of course. But, but radio podcasting, it's different than like making a movie about I, I'm just I, just I think you up. need I, I agree with you I think the I points think. you're making are valid but in the case of Giannis he has a special story about how he Giannis. got here this is yeah no, this is no Giannis but yes, slander for me I do it's not think that slander. I think it's, it's just bit, odd I, I do think odd. players should I think wait okay jumping back to the actual basketball of it point being I'm curious to see if Giannis is able to maintain that through the rest of the season and what has been despite them being third in the east right now Way more tumultuous than we've ever seen from the Bucks. Moving on. New Orleans Pelicans. Currently sixth in the West and sixth in the league in net rating, which is not exactly congruent. Here are the Pelicans' top 10 in minutes per game this season. Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Zion Williamson, Herb Jones, Jonas Valanciunas, Trey Murphy III, 
Jordan Hawkins, Dyson Daniels, my true love, Larry Nance Jr., and Najee Marshall. Jose Alvarado is not even listed, and I think he's someone that we associate as a star role player on the Pelicans for what he's done in the playoffs and in years past. He's been a little banged up. My point is, it cannot be understated how much value the Pelicans' wing dev has had to this point in the season and how much it will have in a playoff series. It requires teams like the Timberwolves, who I think they match up great against, to truly exploit anything resembling a lack of size on the Pelicans, whether that's trying to take advantage of Zion on defense or using Valanciunas' slow feet against him, Raptors legend. And even then, like, Edwards has five different guys that he has to go up against and get locked up by. Herb Jones is arguably the best perimeter defender in the league. Trey Murphy is good in his own right. Jordan Hawkins is talked about for his shooting, but I think that he guards up. Dyson Daniels is a super long and active defensively guard. Even Nance and Najee Marshall are in there to play like stout D and then have six fouls each. They fascinate me because I think it was a couple weeks ago they had a pretty dominant performance against the Clippers where they came back a little bit later, but I think Paul George started 0 for 9 in that game against them. And that's a team that has been probably the best in the league for two, almost three months. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10 before the break. But again, they are prone to streaks. At the front end of that 7-3 and three was a three-game losing streak. And then another five or six-gamer winning streak. Zion himself is streaky. There are points in this season where if you look back through his box scores, he'll match a 26-point performance, which good and above his averages with back-to-back 10s and 12s, and then jump back up to 230s. There's no point in overdoing the points that we've made on his body this year and the level of consistency therein, but that is what we are waiting for with them. Because the reason that they are where they are in the West, sitting at six behind teams like the Suns and even teams like Denver and OKC, that I think that they can match in terms of raw talent and certainly have more experience than someone like the Thunder. They have more depth top to bottom than all of those teams except maybe OKC and then Denver because of Jokic's singular top-end talent. So I'm only curious because they currently sit 13th in offense, 7th in defense, and have a relatively easy schedule to this point and going forward. So, Raven, how do you feel about uh, the future Zion documentary? I mean... He'll make it at age 26. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Duke fans will go crazy everywhere. How do you think Mariah Mills fans will feel about him? Uh, who? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The the woman that got his... Oh! Uh... I mean, that seems right in your wheelhouse. I don't know how you didn't recognize it immediately. I didn't. Um, But if she is in it, then she will make money. Hearsay. So that's that's probably her goal. That's probably her goal. Anyways, Mavericks. (laughs) Last and maybe least, the Mavericks. Six in offensive rating on the year, 21st in defensive rating, which is pretty summary of 
how they've played so far this year and why they made the acquisitions they did at the deadline. Adding Daniel Gafford and P.J. Washington, Gafford obviously being more a true center, an 11-8 and eight guy with a couple blocks coming in to play staunch defense and be Luka's new best pick-and-roll partner. No offense to Derek Lively. P.J. Washington has a down year shooting so far, but in the few games after the trade deadline and before the All-Star break, not only have they continued to be a good offensive team, they've allowed 104 points per game, but in those four games before the deadline or after the deadline and before the All-Star break, and it's a small sample, but that's tied for first with the Celtics in defensive rating. Maxi Cleaver's back too, who has always at least been a marginal positive on offense. He has good synergy with Luka and is a relatively strong low post and just four slash five switchable defender. They feel primed to take off in a way that could elevate them out of seventh in the West. In the same way that the Pelicans can lift themselves out of six, they have set themselves up to succeed more so than even New Orleans has because they made those acquisitions. The Suns feel vulnerable in fifth as Bradley Beal deals with another hamstring injury. And I just wanted to point them out because despite my distaste for some of the way that Luka plays, currently has a 40% usage rate, which I cannot remember ever happening prior to now, except for like Westbrook's MVP season. But I think that they made perfect acquisitions for the way the roster is constructed. And I think that playing with Luka is a way to make P.J. Washington the most valuable version of himself because essentially you're just getting Grant Williams who hasn't pissed everyone off, plus slightly taller and more of a proven history as a shooter and I think even a defender at times. But, Raven, do you have any thoughts on the Mavericks? Um, not particularly. I'm going to be real. I mean... Any feelings about... Um Mark Cuban. About Himself. his sale? Yeah. I don't think we talked about it much I mean, when it happened, or at least it, it happened before we started. It's kind of a big deal. As someone who has, uh, has spoken to people from Texas, they don't love that he's selling such a large ownership stake to people viewed as the devil. But, I mean... From a business if side, yeah. They Wasn't make, he like, oh, I'm gonna still be like the guy though? Yes. Like, but then, but then, but they he's were taking like, them off. But then good they were faith. like, but then they were like, no, no, you're not. You know, they. It wasn't so much that where he said that, and then it wasn't necessarily confirmed or written into anything because it was just understood. And now, not to characterize rich guys all the same way, but I'm kind of gonna that someone's word slash implication is one thing but i am very interested to see what it actually looks like once we get into next season and these plans start to be carried through imagine like buying something though and then the person you bought it from is like but actually i'm gonna like tell you what to do with it yes you know you'd be like wait what I think that it's being treated differently because it's Mark Cuban and because it's an NBA franchise and he still is retaining some amount of ownership stake, but he's done a lot for the NBA. He's done a ton. And I think that plays into it as well, where Mark Cuban is going to be given more leeway and credence and 
it is more safe to assume that he will be respected as someone continuing to be a significant part of decision-making, even though he is sold off because of what he has done for the league, going back to the beginning of the century where he fought hard to make changes that allowed offense to open up more and just for both the players and the league to make significantly more money than they were prior. And that's why he's one of the leading reasons that the NBA has been able to take off over the last 20 years the way it has. So, This is from a basketball casual, but I just feel like with the Mavs, it's just Luka and nobody else. That, Kyrie's that, been hurt enough that that's fair. When they're both playing, it's amazing. And then I just think that they've added players... On the back end, Derek Lively is good, but he's a 20-year-old coming in from coming in after being like this number one overall prospect in the country who kind of disappointed in his one year in college and now has rebuilt his value to be this great rim-running Tyson Chandler type. He needs support in the same way that Chet needs support. I would have rather the Thunder trade for both of these guys, and I think that the Mavericks doing it sets their stars like if we're analogizing SGA to to Luca here, it sets up their stars for success and takes a little bit of the offensive load off because I think PJ Washington is more talented than Grant Williams. SGA is sick. I think that once per episode we have like a man crush moment over him and SGA I, is awesome. He's <laughs> awesome. I cannot understand my excitement. Did you see the thing where it was like him and Luca were standing by each other this weekend and it was like Wow, Shy looks like he can pull off anything, and then Luca looks like the guy who's gonna give you bowling shoes. Because <laughs> they had those little like blue and white or uh, blue and red like pants or shorts. It doesn't hurt that Shay is a beautiful man, but again, maybe that's just my bias. Looking forward to later this week. Twenty-four teams are playing on Thursday night, coming out of the All Star break. So on Friday, we're definitely going to have. A big notebook dump looking at all these games and how these teams look coming out of the break, tracking some injuries, seeing who looks good. So if you're into betting and you want to make your 2014 parlays, now is the time because you don't get a lot of nights like this in the league. Finally, what Tassos is here for and what I know Raven has been struggling to stay awake for, a little bit of baseball. This weekend, pitchers and catchers have already reported to spring training, but the rest of players are going to report at the end of this week, and then spring training games start next week. So I wanted to do a little bit of a baseball teaser. We're going to have a bigger breakdown, an MLB season preview next week on Tuesday. But I wanted to do three things along with some stuff that Tostos has brought for both Raven and myself. What we're most excited about this season in the framework of one local angle, one personal slash homer angle, and then one league-wide point. Oh, I wasn't prepared for this. I know. It's okay. Right. <laughs> you also came in last minute and were like, yeah, I want to talk I'm about ready. I'm ready. So. No, 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 but I, I, that's why I don't want you to be prepared. It's more authentic if you're not is. rehearsed. No, I'm a, I'm, I'm a seam head, dude. Come on. I'm a seam head. You, look like, seam you head. certainly look like one. Yeah. No, come on. Raven, do you want to start off? Yeah, we'll start it with local. I mean got two teams in the city so we got White Sox first I mean pitching has been one of the biggest things that stands out to me with no depth really in the rotation or in the pen with uh, Hendricks leaving 
we all know that this team isn't going to be great, so they have the chance to really try things out and move pieces up from the minors and see how they do and try to find pieces and build. But if they fix the pitching, the team's going to have to worry about the offensive issues then. But we all know that's a hard for them to do. I feel a lot of the same way where if you look at their rotation, Dylan Cease, yay, I still miss him. Um, Michael Kopech had a good 2022, but was 543 last season ERA, and he led the AL in walks. Tuiki Toussaint, I I liked him when he was coming up in the Atlanta system as just a one of those flamethrower whip arm guys, but he has no business starting. He's meant as a reliever, and he had 15 games started last year. Michael Soroka has been hurt and terrible. Like, we can run down the rest of this and just bully the White Sox rotation, which I have no problem doing. But I'm honestly more interested in the development of their stadium downtown. Yeah, that's kind of going to be... Right next to DePaul? Is that... Yeah, is it's, that, it's... I is believe... the word? It's going to be off the Roosevelt, Roosevelt Red That's Sox. what's being implied. We see more and more about... This is a separate part of the same thing. We see more and more about privatized stadium funding. I think the most prominent example is SoFi Stadium in L.A., where uh, Stan Kroenke put down billions of dollars to fund that stadium. But Reinsdorf has never been the type of, to budge on this. He's threatened to move the White Sox to, like, Florida before. And per multiple sources, they yeah, are... Nashville. Or Nashville. They're seeking... Hell, Salt Lake City now. They're seeking a billion plus in funding, in public funding for their stadium. So from, from the Chicago citizen angle, I'm really curious to see how much of that is actually upheld upheld and decided to be funded by the city i mean not that we're gonna talk a lot of politics on here but i'm very much against like hikes and taxes for stadiums when i think that billionaires should pay for them but i was just curious what you guys thought as people who also live here well i mean something i was gonna bring up to you was one of the topics i wanted to discuss was the diamondbacks i don't know if you um were like reading up on that full time, but I, I didn't really know that there was some instability of their status in Arizona. And um, just like in hockey, they're dealing with that with the Coyotes right now. Mm-hmm. And they, you mentioned Salt Lake City too, and it's giving me uh, flashes to what's going on in the NHL world too. And um, it's what Vegas has been. It's becoming what Vegas was forever. Where they went to the like, World Series last year, though. I know what. Well, yeah, that's why it's different. I was gonna say it's. People were using Salt Lake City and Nashville, and it was Vegas, but then the A's said, it's like, yep, we're gone as threats to to get stadium funding. People don't want to lose their team. I mean, you can ask St. Louis about losing the Rams. They certainly cared more about them than L.A. does. But it does, it disheartens me because I feel like we've made some progress towards getting ownership groups to actually fund their own stadiums. But then when a team who makes the World Series is now threatening to move to, sorry for making you do more work, Raven, is saying that they're going to move to fucking Utah. Yeah. Like, I think that both the White Sox and, albeit them being a much worse baseball team this year and last, is the same kind of deal where it's this team with a century of history that is going to get greedy over public funding 
And I get it. If you're the billionaire, why, why would you pay the billion if you don't have to? But I just want to see these local governments continue to stand up to this kind of thing. Can I read this quote? I, I was going to read it during um, uh, like another, but I'll include this as my local because I don't do the Cubs. Where do the Cubs do their spring training? Arizona, right? Uh, yeah. Arizona. Yeah. And then right. they also have. So a, the Diamondbacks, this will count as my local. This will count as my local. So uh, Arizona Diamondbacks uh, managing general partner Ken Kendrick expressing his frustration Monday that the MLB team hasn't been able to reach a deal to secure public funds to renovate Chase Field. Mm. Uh, this is the quote, though. There is likely to be in time an expansion of our sport to a couple of additional cities. Cities are letting MLB know their interest. Their interest is getting a team. Uh, is Their interest in getting a team is specific. Oh, my gosh. Uh, they would be happy with a brand new franchise, but they would be certainly very happy, you know, with, frankly, a successful existing franchise, Kendrick said Monday. Hmm. Not all that failed of a threat, you know. That sounds like a threat. Yeah. Look, I, we're just going to have to see how it develops. I feel better about it because it's not the A's ownership group actively taking the team so that they can justify moving them. Again, the Diamondbacks are set up for success now and moving forward. So I'm not that concerned that the ownership is angling that way. But hearing those talks is always concerning. I think the Diamondbacks have been as successful of a startup franchise considering when they were founded, as yeah. you can expect. I mean, they definitely had their rough years of Valleys. the mid-2010s, but... I feel less concerned about them than I ever did about Oakland. You think the White Sox are going to get this thing up, though? Probably. I think the city's going to acquiesce because they always do. That would be cool. I think it'll be cool to see the stadium. I just wish that it wasn't at the cost of public funding. Anyway. Is it really that bad of a stadium there? I mean, I went, I've been a couple times. But Guaranteed to suck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> former it's, Comiskey. It's, when was the last time you guys went to a White Sox game? I've been to like last two. Year. Okay, I've never yeah. been. You've never been? Okay. I've, I've been wanting to go, but I just haven't had a chance to go. I think some of it is similar to the talks they had at Wrigley where like people were so resistant to renovating things that it eventually fell into disarray. Now, Wrigley is more of a historic landmark, so they just renovated it instead of trying to build a new stadium, which I think is right. But You can still go to Cubs games for cheap, though. Yeah, I think guaranteed rate, former Comiskey, I would... I think that it has a lot of connection to the area and that it would be kind of rough for them to just completely abandon it, but it seems like that's where it's going. Anyway, Raven. Winter, winter Classic. The most exciting thing happening in, at Wrigley this year is the Winter Classic. Okay, Dick. <laughs> Raven, talk about the Brewers. We'll talk about the Cubs, but that's my homer. All right. Let's get to my moment. So my moment. My main things about the Brewers is how are they going to do with Pat Murphy taking over and with Council leaving. I'm pretty comfortable with Pat Murphy and his ability to... He's been a part of this team for a while, so he knows this team. And then you get Ricky Weeks Jr., who was actually one of my favorite players growing up. I was going to say. Coming the associate manager, I think that's really big for those guys who have been fans of those teams and just comfortable with the coaching situation where you're going pitching is my biggest worry i mean wade miley cannot be your second man after (laughs) freddie peralta that's absolutely disgusting but (laughs) you do have uh brandon what's your 
uh, coming back for a two-year deal. Mighty. The Mighty. He is going to be out this year with a shoulder, shoulder surgery that he had at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. But I'm going to name some players for you, Zach, that are in the uh, the Brewers bullpen and see if you can get these. Do you know J.B. Bus, uh, Bukowkis? I know the name. I get like I'll know the name. I cannot tell you these guys' stats off the top of my oh, head. But dude. you see the Brewers play them what seventeen times, nineteen times a year. It's just like oh, there's that jackass again. Twenty four point one innings, twenty seven games, twenty one strikeouts, five point two, five point nine two ERA. Awesome. Then we got Jansen Junk. <laughs> Thirty two innings pitch, nine games, twenty six strikeouts. 4. I remember. I remember him because his last name's Junk. And then D.L. Hall, which if no you look idea. up a picture no of idea, him, bro. if you look up a picture of him, I swear he went to Ole Miss. 33 <laughs> innings pitch. Just look up a picture Hold of on. him. What's 33 inning, uh, D.L. Hall. D.L. Hall. 33 innings pitch, 29 oh, games, yeah. 42 strikeouts, 4.36 ERA. I think he, there's a lot of youth, but no one who's really been established. So that's my main worry. He has thoughts about January 6th. <laughs> Without a doubt. Shotasos. Oh, hold on. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> DL? DL Hall. He looks like the last player that they Does allowed. Does DL to, stand for something? I don't know. Um, He looks like the last player that they allowed to dip during games because it's just a fundamental part of his personality. Dayton Lane. Dayton Lane. He's from Valdosta, which is where, not too far from where I lived. Oh, that says a lot about his character. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, Freddie Peralta is still great, but after trading Burns to the now, I mean, Tassos with the guy with the AL East on his mind, is the are the Orioles the best team in that division, or is it still the race? Well, are, are you sure? okay. I, mean, I think first it's of all, one, it's the Orioles. It's the Orioles. Um, I think so too. I'm just saying there's an argument. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it's the Blue Jays. Like, I'm serious. Watch, you'll see. They're. I don't know how we're doing this. First of all, you said Ravens coming in here hot with like we're doing local, homer, and national. Yeah. And so did we? Are we done? We're done with local, right? Yeah. I mean, my homer is also local. That's why I. I Okay. All right. All right. All right. Just because I do, I have a homer ready too. Yeah. Of course. This is your home. All right, right on. This is okay. That's why I should so, on the AL East. I wanted, I wanted you to so, go. Because I have a larger Blue Jays go. conversation. Absolutely. But, you know, I think they are prepared to um, really take that next step. They've lost a few pieces. Um, I see there's talk here about some guys that are still on the market. Um, I know the Blue Jays' big signing this summer was Justin Turner, which uh, was kind of an underwhelming signing after as your all biggest, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were they were really the second team on Shohei after the Dodgers, and that would have really changed a whole lot around the organization. Um, they signed that other pitcher, right? Um, so um, you know, there, there's a lot of good guys out there. They they linked Cody Bellinger. I don't think they really need him, but. Um, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I, I think some of these guys are going to step up. Like Ricky Tideman is good is a good prospect for the Jays. Um, they picked this kid. He's seventeen. He's not going to play, but 
They picked him 20th overall. He's from Florida. Shout out. Um, but his parents are from India. And he was the first um, first player of Indian descent to make the majors if he actually makes it. So I think he was the first player drafted to of Indian descent. That's what I read in this article. Um, but kid's just super athletic and was working out with all these big dogs. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just super cool. Francisco Lindor and... Um, some of those other guys, Nathaniel and Josh Lowe. Um, you signed Daniel Vogelbach to a minor to league a minor contract. League deal. How do you? I know. I know that Ravens looking at the same thing as me because I was just refreshing myself on, on everything. But yeah, no. I, Vlad had a down season by his expectations. He had a down season, and like Alex Manoa definitely took a huge oh, step back dude. after he yeah, was I mean, supposed like, to be the future. Like, yeah, I mean that's that. This is a make or break really training camp for. Alex, he Manoa. might get sent back down again. Alex Manoa, yeah. Um, but I said he, Alex too. Yeah. yeah, he he, you know, I don't know. He is the difference to be a big game changer on the mound. Um, yeah, it, it's gonna be Bo Bichette carrying the team again, kind of one of those underrated superstars. Um, Mitch Marner of the the Toronto Blue Jays, the the guy that does a lot of the legwork with uh, without a lot of credit. Um, George Springer, obviously, like mm-hmm. if he can really have a good solid season, you know, I don't know, we'll see. They they let a few guys go, and um, you know, not like Hunjin Ryu was going to be um, the guy on the mound that they needed to keep in, but um, they still have Jose Barrios. I mean, right? Barrios, Kikuchi, like, I think even Barrios wasn't necessarily up to snuff all year. I know a lot of Jays fans are really upset about them keeping John Schneider as the manager too. Um, I, I, whatever. I mean, it's the they're they're gonna keep him until they realistically can't. And um, my only thing with him is that it doesn't feel like he's built up an, enough cachet to to con- be able to continue to survive. I don't know that he's like really making the decisions out there. Like I think. There's a, Someone behind the a really strong analytics team in place that ownership has kind of really imposed on everybody that, like, you take credence to what they say. Um, you know, they pulled Berrios in that game against the Twins, and they probably should have left him in there. <laughs> and um, so I don't know that that's, like, a job. You know, they made the playoffs again. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, you need maybe another big bat in there, or I think that's what, especially you when you're trying when you're trying to keep pitcher. pace with the Rays, who again probably lost. You have to keep pace with them. The and the Yankees, Orioles, and the Yankees, Yankees are always going to be adding pieces all the time. They're always going to be like one of the biggest names. They're like the Dodgers and um, even the Red Sox too. Like it's not like like they're brutal right now, but that's not going to be like that forever. Um, they are teams with quick turnarounds because of who they are. The Yankees are never bad for long, the Red Sox. I mean, the Red Sox are unique because of their 86-year streak of not winning in a substantial way. But even then, like, the Red Sox and the Yankees don't stay bad for long. No. So you have to take advantage when they are. Yeah. So this is the Blue Jays' time. Same with the Orioles, even though it does seem like they're more at the peak beginning of their window. They st- They seem more sustainable. Adley Rutschman. Dog. 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 <laughs> like, my gosh. Let's... Dog. Okay. So good. They're you guys... Fun, you they're got, fun to watch, too. 
you guys can jump in on this too because it's a Cubs point. But my my biggest homer take, other than the fact that I actually am looking forward to this Cubs season, uh, is where why is Bellinger not on this team? There were there was a couple of reports about uh, about like guys who are represented by Scott Boris who continue to not sign with teams in the offseason. I think the biggest one is obviously Bellinger, but um, like even guys like Jose Altuve, who is a Boris kind of took forever to actually take an extension. And who else? Josh Hader, who signed there again, Boris client. This is very, this is very typical. And so I can't be shocked. And it's not odd that Bellinger has held out till almost spring training. But in a season where you sign Imanaga, who is a port, re, reportedly, according to everyone who actually sees him in bullpen sessions, including guys on the pitching staff, think he's nasty. But bringing Bellinger back after a borderline MVP season makes you a sneaky, scary playoff team. They went 83 and 79 last season and probably should have made the playoffs if they were able to beat the freaking Rockies. And then, again, if they had played the Diamondbacks tighter down the stretch too, we could be talking about them in the same position. Not that they are in any way the same level of talent and have anyone with the same level of hype as someone like Corbin Carroll, but they were doing great and then fell apart. Not that that's out of the norm. The Cubs are ninth in payroll right now as far as um, MLB goes. and they um, Tom Ricketts can afford it. So $7.5 of that is on injured reserve. Two of it is on retained. Mm-hmm. Look, they have space to do it. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong is my hero. And so even if Belly doesn't sign, he's going to fill in. Sorry, that's the Dodgers. The Cubs have $16.5 retained. Mm-hmm. And what is this? Five and a half million buried? Who, who is that, do you think? You don't know? I don't know off the top of my head. Hmm. Regardless, Armstrong is going to be a lefty, decent hitting center fielder with amazing defense, and that is fine by me if Bellinger doesn't sign. They also have uh, guys like Matt Shaw coming up through the system. He was drafted in 2023 as an infielder and made it all the way to AA in September. So he's a guy that could probably get some time this season, especially if there's injuries, like how Christopher Morell filled in. He's purportedly going to practice at third base. But again, signing Bellinger and then bringing up all these talented players, you make space later, bring back the MVP candidate. And then uh, this is to the Brewers fan on this on this podcast with me. Uh, we are a playoff team. We stole counts from you. Fuck you guys. I hate the Cardinals, and I hope Ryan Helsley's arm falls off. In a way that doesn't ruin his life. Just I won't, He can get a robot arm that can't pitch anymore. But I'm excited to see how Council does. Nolan Gorman eats babies. Okay. <laughs> so you going to be the Doc Rivers on the other side? Uh, okay. That would be funny if he just totally throws. Raven, you have a couple of national points that I agree with. So where do you want to start with? Uh, we can start with the Red Sox. I mean, that's one of those teams that have fallen off in the last five years. I mean, I remember growing up 
Ever since the Betts trade. Yeah, and they just have have had some struggles, but they got Liam Hendricks, which is pretty big for them. They have always kind of had that closer figure. so Dating back to Kimbrell and... Yeah, all the way back. But then, like you said here, you got uh, Anthony, Rafaela, and Mayer, who are all top 50 mm-hmm. players, so... As I say, Marcelo Meyer especially is a really hyped shortstop prospect. And then Anthony and Stan Rafaela are both consensus top 50s. My thing, and this is the case with so many teams all the time, they have all these talented position players in their system. It's going to be an imbalance when it actually comes time to win. And that's why, like, no shit, uh, pitchers become intensely valuable on the on the trade market because I mean they have Giolito, but it's him, Nick Pavetta, Garrett Whitlock. Like they their rotation is rough rough enough that there's little hope of real contention this year unless two of them break out or play above their play above sea level. Um to your question, I think that they have the position player talent to be really scary over the next few years if those guys hit. And to Tassos's point, too, these teams don't stay bad for long. If the Red Sox want to throw their weight around and start to acquire assets, I mean, they traded sale. Like, they clearly don't care at the moment about being one of those teams at the end of the year, but they have set themselves up to at least be a scary hitting team in the next three. And then the Orioles, I mean, we've already touched on them a ton, but I am also really excited to see what... They look like with a lot of young guys in the lower system still having a chance to come up. And it's unfair that you have Adley and Gunnar Henderson, and now you're going to bring up Jackson Holiday, who probably doesn't have to hit higher than seventh. What's the deal with that? Didn't that kid like grow up on a, on um, like a, didn't his dad play in the Matt Holiday? Yeah. yeah. And they grew up in a, come on. Help me out here. Off the top of my head, I don't know. He played for the Cardinals, so... So, but, like, I've heard and that that kid growing up played... They had a lot of land somewhere, and just a sick setup. Corn-fed. Well, yeah, that, and just, like, a, a really cool... Like a combine? Yeah, like a whole combine in their house. It's insane. Look it up. I, I, it's definitely worth the, the check. He's but. he's one of those guys that is in the mold of, like, the one that always comes to mind for me, I don't know why, is Jamal Murray. Because, like, once a season, I get to see the story or see, um, like, a clip at a Nuggets game where it's talking about him doing push-ups in the snow in his driveway. Mm-hmm. I don't know Same. why they talk about that Insane. twice a year. But stuff like that where it's clear that having – a, a major league outfielder father made a big difference. And Holiday was good. And so we are we are continuing the the track of former good athletes producing great ones, whether it's I mean Marvin Harrison was great in his own right, but now his kid is probably even better. I feel like baseball prospects are so hard. That's probably the most difficult sport to project as far as draft pick to MLB translation of course. Like games. Like Which makes it all the more frustrating that the Orioles were able to compile all of these guys and that they are arguably the best team in the league and have a top five farm system. I think a lot of those guys are going to hit, though. They seem like it. Well, and you have infrastructure in there, too, where trading for a guy like Corbin Burns moves everyone down a spot in the rotation. 
and that takes pressure off. And if you get to the playoffs, you have a real borderline or actual side young guy, depending on the Burns year. Like, they are only going to add to what has already been a terrifying team. And so, Raven, do you want to make your last point on Oakland? What's happening with Oakland or Vegas or Sacramento or Oakland? It seems like in 25 through 27, prior to actually getting to Vegas, that they're going to play in Sacramento. Why? But they're still going to be named Vegas or Oakland? Like... I actually don't know. Like that's. I think they'll still be called Oakland. They're not gonna. They're not gonna call them Vegas, are they? What's well, gonna be the Las Vegas Athletics? They would keep the name, yeah, Tassos. Uh, so they're for sure moving the team. This yeah. is they really s- like that has already been confirmed that they're leaving. The so the point is just where are they going to be in but the? But it's meantime? not as imminent. No, it's it's going to be something over the course of several years because they have to have a stadium to play in, and so now they're working on funding for that too, in the same way we were talking about all these other teams. Hmm. So, I only wanted to bring that up because I find it funny that they have to. They play could be now. bought back, right? In theory. In theory, yeah, but they probably they, don't no. want to. The fans. The wheels have like already that. been put in motion. The like, fans in Oakland would want that. They're fan. good fans, of course, but that didn't stop the Raiders from moving. No. Yeah, all right, fair. So, I mean, they'll still have an Oakland contingent because apparently all those teams are going to move to Las Vegas, as it seems. But is Las Vegas really a better baseball market? That is another question that I don't think. Also, who's going to want to play? I think the answer is no. June. It's because it's making the team into a tourist attraction rather than an actual, like, local rallying point slash landmark. Because, like, the people in Toronto and in Canada love the Blue Jays and rally around the Blue Jays. Even like here or in Milwaukee, uh, teams across the country, there's a lot more ownership of the team by the people that care about it. No one in Sacramento is going to give a shit about the A's. No one in Vegas is really going to care. But so many people go to Vegas that you're just relying on it as a tourism experience. And that's what the Raiders are, and I think the Golden Knights have actually probably progressed a level beyond that. They were the first ones there. Yes. Uh, outside I think, of the Aces. Outside, outside of the Aces. No, you're fine. I think it's <laughs> fine. I think the Golden Knights are unique in a way that they've actually drawn real local support that I think the Raiders haven't really and that the Athletics will struggle to do. So whether or not they can match that is funny. I more so wanted to... Uh, point out the humor of the Sacramento Athletics. Yeah. Tassos, do you have anything else to wrap us up on? No, I just, I, I don't think Vegas is a baseball market. I um, I don't think flatly. you're alone with that I don't opinion. think yeah. any of us disagree with that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It would be cool to see the uh, Oakland stay there, but that would, I don't think that's going to happen. And... Um, yeah, to wrap you up, to wrap us up with baseball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Excited for the Blue Jays season. I may come on again to to chat. Maybe once the, the pitches get thrown, and um, yeah, I'm excited. They need, people need to get signed. Some of these dudes need to get signed. Um, Bellinger, Matt Chapman isn't signed. He's, he's another guy that was discussed as one of those Boris guys that I mean I would be happy for the Cubs to get as well. But he was great last year. Yeah. 
And it was like a down year for him. Joey Votto, too. Joey Votto's a guy I'd like to see sign with the Blue Jays. Let's make that happen. Um, I, I, too, love people that hit 190. Did you see the clips of Joey Votto going to the NHL All-Star game and, like, taking a picture with every single NHL mascot? I did. That was cute. Yeah, I don't know why he did that. I think he's kind of an out-of-pocket dude. He kind of he does seems whatever like he's, he wants. He plays, that, hysteri- he plays that way, he's too. His, like, historically, he's just a weird guy. Yeah, I love A lot it. of players will say that about him. I love it. Well, Brandon Belt, too. Let's get some of these guys signed. Come on. Baseball is right around the corner. Turn that shit off. Anyway, looking at this week and next, on Friday, we're going to run through a massive NBA slate as we come out of the All-Star break. I want to start dipping our toes into some NFL mock draft season. Free agency is at the beginning of March, so as... The local team is at the top of the draft. We're going to cover it extensively leading in. Um, I'm going to shit on J.J. McCarthy and the idea that he's going to go top 10. Come at me, Michigan. And then this time next week, we'll be back to preview the MLB season. But Tassos, Raven, do you have anything else to add? No, man. Go check out the On the Gravel that posted on Monday. Go check out On the Gravel. Go check out Good Morning Hockey. Tassos, thanks for joining me. Yeah, Logan Stankoven getting called up to the NHL. He's going to play against the Rangers today. Lead, leading scorer in the AHL right now. So that's the, that's my little hockey 10 seconds. Sweet. Well, now Raven can play the music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Check everything else out. Shout out to Logan Stankoven. Stankoven. Have a great week. <laughs>